Welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Eric Brown. I work here at the Institute, and I'm very happy to uh, welcome all of you to our panel discussion this afternoon uh, on uh, the Iranian mosaic and the struggle, the peaceful struggle, of its ethnic and religious minorities for pluralism and federalism within Iran. Of course, uh, most Middle Eastern countries, as we know, are, in fact, ethnic and religious mosaics. One of the most significant trends in the region that we've seen in recent years has been the steady decomposition of these large religiously and ethnically variegated countries into smaller, more homogenous polities as people begin to demand more say in their own governance. Well-formed governments have the chance to sort of decentralize and manage this process in a peaceful fashion. But there are not many well-formed governments in the Middle East. Indeed, most of the modern state-building projects in the region, Iran's included, have been organized efforts at suppressing this basic human difference or efforts to actually eliminate it. This has required enormous resources for the fragile states in the Middle East to keep up over time, and they've normally relied on an enormous amount of force and political violence in order to keep their regimes intact. Uh, I was reminded recently that, in fact, the first holy war announced by Ayatollah Khomeini after the founding of the 1979 Islamic Republic was, in fact, a war against Kurdish nationalists who did not want to be a part of the new regime. At the time, Ayatollah Khomeini had basically said that the Kurds' nationalism was a form of apostasy that was spreading corruption within the Iranian mosaic and that it was legitimate for the regime to destroy that form of apostasy. The war that ensued lasted for about three years, and 10,000 lives were consumed in that. And ever since then, there has been a history of state-sponsored violence within Iran. Iran is not an exception here, but there has been a history of state-sponsored violence within Iran, uh, which has uh, shattered enormous numbers of lives. Recently, uh, the Supreme Leader of Iran, Khamenei, at a recent graduation of the IRGC uh, ceremony, he said uh, that the Iranian nation is a revolutionary nation and that the glory of the nation must be protected. In his speech, he gave some uh, general guidelines for the presidential candidates who Iranians will vote for later this week. Among other things, he said that the candidates should avoid triggering belief uh, anything uh, having to do with geographical, lingual, or ethnic differences within Iran, they must be careful about this. The candidates should be careful that by a detection error, they won't trigger these differences to the benefit of the enemy, i.e. the enemies of Iran. Yet the costs of repressing the Iranian mosaic all seem likely to grow today for a variety of different reasons. Demography uh, is changing, in fact, the deep structure of power across the greater Iranian plateau. Soon, if not already, minority ethnic groups, Baluch, the Kurds, the Azeri Turks, the Awazis, and others will make up the majority of Iran's total population because of higher fertility rates, declining um, uh, 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 child mortality rates, um, and that these are actually being offset by a precipitous decline amongst ethnic Persian Shiites, uh, which we've seen particularly since the founding of the 19, 1979 Republic. To deal with this, the regime going forward really has two broad options. It can persist in the fashion in which it has, or it can attempt to federalize and attempt to deal with this in a peaceful fashion. Of course, the latter course requires a change in governance, 
change in the governing dispensation and in the orientation of the government in Tehran. And it's very clear that many in the ruling, many among the ruling elites do not want to do this. All this is also happening at a time of deepening regional wars in which the differences that exist among the various peoples of the greater Middle Eastern mosaic are becoming increasingly weaponized. Iran, as we know, uh, more than any other power in the region, has pursued its expansionistic ambitions where it has managed to find a proxy or a grievance amongst various oppressed peoples, and some not so oppressed, and then to arm those ambitions. Recently, um, we've uh, had a statement from Mohammed bin Salman, the pow powerful crown prince and defense minister of Saudi Arabia, in which he said that the kingdom would not let Iran spread uh, in this fashion onto Arabian soil, and that instead the kingdom would undertake to spread the war to Iran uh, first. Uh, nobody in the United States wants to see this happen. Um, one need only look at the number of lives that have been cons consumed in the conflicts in Syria, Yemen, and elsewhere, uh, and the possibility that many millions more will be shattered in an open-ended people's war in the Middle East, uh, driven, uh, among others, by Iran. Um, and we clearly have a national interest in preventing this from happening. I recall speaking recently to some Iranian Kurdish leaders who said that were Iran to allow, were Iranian ethnic groups allow, uh, were they to allow uh, uh, external forces to involve themselves in a violent way within Iran, Iran would be at risk of being turned into a Yugoslavia. Um, this is a, a terrifying prospect. Uh, one of the domestic criticisms of U.S. policy with respect to Iran in recent years, in addition to giving carte blanche to its imperialistic fashions to pursue their ambitions in the region, has of course also been the fact that we've looked the other way as state-sponsored violence toward Iran's ethnic minorities has increased. Uh, one goal of our uh, discussion today is to provide a platform for the representatives of some of the main parties of the various ethnic uh, nationalities within Iran who are working peacefully to promote pluralism and f uh, federalism within the country and to hear what they have to say. Uh, we're going to have uh, speakers, uh, uh, five speakers. Uh, to my right, we'll have first uh, Dr. Nasser Boladai, who's from the Baluchistan People's Party. Then we'll have uh, Mr. Mari Esfandiari from the Komala Party, a Kurdish party, a very famous Kurdish party. And then, of course, Arash Saleh, who's also a representative of the Democratic Party of Iranian Kurdistan. And Dr. Karim Abdian, who is uh, a representative of the Democratic Solidarity Party of Alawaz of Khuzestan. And finally, we'll have Habib Azarsina from the South Azerbaijan Alliance. And uh, we're going to keep our opening remarks to a little under 10 minutes each so that we can have plenty of time for a conversation with all of you. Uh, thank you. Nasser. Thank you very much. You thank better. you, Mr. Brande. Thank you for uh, giving us uh, this opportunity to be here today. And as you said, Iran is a mosaic country. It's a country with different nationality, and uh, it should have been already, I think, if, if it has been natural progress in Iran. It should have been a you know, federal and democratic country. But given what's happening inside Iran and forces that want to keep everything on check and for their own benefit, so we have you now Islamic Republic of Iran, which is centralized. And not only is a problem for Iran itself, it's also a problem for the region and for the international community. Iran from beginning, at least from the modern time that Iran became as existence as a nation state, 
the Pahlavi regime saw Iran as a Persian state. Actually, Iranian King Mahmoud Reza Pahlavi never missed the opportunity to say that Iran is a continuation of Persian Empire. Anybody living in Iran is a Persian. And Ayatollah Khomeini, when he took power after the revolution, he was of the almost the same opinion, that, uh, that Iran is a, a nation united through Islam, and there is neither need nor space for separate national or cultural identity. And as you mentioned, Mr. Khamenei has repeated the same, and it is because they want to deny other nationalities their right. And as far as this kind of concerns the Iranian uh, uh, demographic, uh, well, the perception always has been is a Persian country, but as uh, Amid Reza Ajibaba, he was an education minister during Ahmadinejad. He said 70% of the school children in Iran that started school, they're not Farsi speaking. And they left Farsi later in the school. Although he was meaning that the government should pay more attention to people who learn Persian in their home, but it shows that also the Iranian, <coughs> at least until now, after so many years of assimilation, there are different nationalities living in Iran. And as far as us, for the Baluch is concerned, we have been in Iran also in the receiving in of many of the Iranian government different kind of uh, uh, oppressive policies, from democratic manipulation to execution. And we see that the regime use any means to make sure that the Baluch society is in stress and distress. It's through execution, through extrajudicial killings and economic suppression, and also uh, in any way it can, it wants to humiliate and harass Baluch people living in Iran. It is because the government sees Baluchistan is useful area because of the sea, because of it is a geopolitical situation, but it doesn't need the people. And it has been said actually during the Shah's time and during the Khomeini's time, Hoveida, one of the prime ministers of the Shah, very powerful man, said, well, uh, why we should develop this region for these people? These people just happen to be living in a geopolitical area. Why we should not remove them from there? Actually, he said this word. And this has been the policy of the Islamic Republic of Iran currently. And we, can, we are seeing also the Rouhani regime is also has put forward a, a, a plan to change demography of Baluchistan. They say Baluchistan can provide the resources for one million and a half more people to migrate to Baluchistan. Actually, it was in this May, the Iranian minister said this. And it is while we have in Baluchistan directly no unemployment is very high. And the poverty rate in Baluchistan, according to Iran itself, it is more than 70%. And why the government does not provide jobs for these people that are already living there, and instead wants to move one million and a half people to Baluchistan. It is only to change the demography of the region because of the geopolitical situation. As we from the Baluchistan People's Party can understand the situation in Iran, we think Iran should change to a democratic and secular and federal country. It should be respectful for all of its different nationalities and religious groups so that we can live together and build a, a society that is uh, people deserve in Iran. And this is what we are working together with our partner in Congress of Nationalities for Federal Iran. And we have good contact with some other uh, Iranian uh, organization trying to build another coalition so that we can together work for a peaceful transition to democracy in Iran, where all the, the rights of different people from the nationalities, religious group, and also different class of people in Iran are respected and we can have a peaceful coexistence within Iran, which is, I think the people deserve, and it is for the international community and for the region, it should be like that, because we can check the ambition of Iranian central government. It is always to control, not only Iran, also to control the region. If there is a federal state, I mean, Vibaluch does not have any desire to go and be involved in Lebanon, 
or occupy Jerusalem or go to occupy uh, Syria or go to Kabul. We are concerned about our livelihood and our, uh, having a peaceful life within Balochistan. We do not have this kind of ambitions. So if Iran is uh, decentralized and power is moved from Tehran to the regions, we think Iran could be a country, controllable country, a peaceful country, and a country that is good for itself and also for the region and international community. Thank you very much. Thank you. Respondiari. Um, I also thank you for giving the opportunity um, to me to speak in the behalf of Kumala Party. Uh, my talk is consists of two parts. One, I'm going to give a very brief introduction about our party. And in the second part of my talk, I will talk about our quest for a federal system. Uh, Kumala was found, uh, and I stay in a very close proximity with my notes um, for the sake of time. Uh, Kumala was found in October of 1969 under the Shah as an underground political organization among students and young intellectuals. It endured years of persecutions and imprisonment and has since played a major role in Kurdish politics. When the Iranian Revolution took place almost a decade later, Kumala Party had already managed to build a, a strong and resilient network of disciplined activists among the young generations both in urban and rural areas. On the 16th of February 1979, four days after the Ayatollahs came in power in Tehran, Kumala Party of Iranian Kurdistan was launched as an open party and soon became a major political party in Kurdistan with branches also in Tehran and some other Iranian cities. While Kumala Party was an organizing force of mass protest movements in Kurdistan during the last year of the Shah, it was clear from the beginning that the course of revolution in Kurdistan was very different from that in Tehran. What Kurds fought for was a free democratic Iran where the legitimate rights of Kurds and other ethnic and religious groups are respected. As it later became apparent, the Ayatollah's ambitions were far from these aspirations. When Khomeini ordered an overall onslaught against the Kurds in July of 1979, Kumala Party made a historic decision to resist against this brutal suppression and to defend its people. It recruited thousands of Peshmerga freedom fighters, um, and organized mass uprising. It took only three months to defeat the Iranian regime's newly found revolutionary guards. In the spring of 1980, the Ayatollahs again attacked Kurdistan and waged an unjustifiable war against its own people, and last, which lasted for about a, uh, a decade. The only reason behind that unprovoked and devastating military campaign against the Kurds was that they were not in tune with the ruling Shia clerics. Kurds even had boycotted the so-called referendum of the establishment of the Islamic Republic in Iran in April of 1979. Allow me to briefly now talk about our quest for federalism. As it was stated, Iran is a multi-ethnic or a multinational Many countries in Middle East have such characteristics. 
Iran started its project of nation building at the beginning of the 20th century, which was an attempt to create a monolithic Iranian nation by suppressing ethnic diversity and imposing one identity, that of the Persian identity on other ethnic communities. The process of national building and the suppression of ethnic community has not only failed, but the notion of a state nationalism and nationhood has constantly challenged by non-Persian uh, communities, national communities such as us. Now allow me to make a distinction between what is called an uh, ethnic group and what is called a nation with the awareness that there, there is uh, some kind of uh, overlap between the two in terms of descent, common languages, uh, shared history, and in many cases, common territories. Also with the awareness that the uh, latter can be distinguished from the former in political grounds. Um, Unlike the ethnic groups, uh, aspiring nations have a claim to sovereignty. That is, either in a form of a statehood or shared sovereignty in multinational polities. Shared sovereignty in national, multinational polities is a hallmark of a federal system. Uh, of course, we have de facto federal systems such as Spain, and de facto federal system, the one that is in Iraq, which is explicit political endorsement of it by some segment of the society. Question, is Iran a mononational or a multinational polity? Obviously, the Kurds, Azeris, Turkmen's, Arab, Baluchis, uh, demand is that they be recognized as nations worthy a state, and some Persian opposition group insist that they are no more than ethnic groups. This is the contentious issue in contemporary Iran, where communities other than Persians should be recognized as nation by their state or not. There are two contending views with respect to the ethnic and national diversity in Iran. According to the first, Traditionally and still dominant among the ruling elites and some Persian opposition group, this diversity is a liability and even a potential threat to Iran's territorial integrity. Political actors representing Iran minorities, however, contend that this diversity no, is no threat to Iran's unity. They also maintain that it could facilitate a transition to democracy in Iran partly as a result of political development in post-2003 Iraq, and partly as a result of the effort made by minorities themselves, federalism has been raised as a formula for political coexistence in Iran. The Persian generally eschew the very notion of federalism, the main obstacle, it appears, the fear of separatism. If Iran uh, were to become a federal polity, not only would it have an effect on the existing distribution of socioeconomic resources, but it would also undermine the official notion of mononationality. Federalism is as much about the redistribution of material resources as it is about the redefinition of identities and roles in contemporary Iran. However, 
if the Persian opposition group continue to uphold the myth of mononationality and reject federalism, they might, will become, they might well become a strategic challenge to the national minority's quest for a federal Iran. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Eric, for providing us with this opportunity. Uh, uh, for a long time, now, it has been very hard for us to find a pair of ears hearing <laughs> uh, to our story, but yet this opportunity is very uh, valuable for us. Thank you, for, thank you very much for that, and thanks, uh, Hudson. So basically, uh, we, know, we all know Iran for two uh, attributes, uh, two different behaviors, a totalitarianism inside its borders and uh, a rogue state or uh, an axis of evil outside its borders. Uh, these actually uh, attributes are intertwined and they are related to Iran's uh, sociopolitical character, uh, which I believe this character has been shaped uh, during time, during history, by a kind of ethnocentrism uh, that actually shapes Iran's state. Uh, this ethnocentrism actually likes to provide a kind of uh, state with a specific mission. This specific mission, as my friends actually uh, mentioned earlier, uh, are first to restore uh, Persian Empire situation or disposition in international relations, and second, to melt down all diversities inside Iran. So, actually, uh, that's why that uh, you can find a kind of um, totalitarianism inside, a kind of situation that uh, diversity is not welcome inside Iran. And on the other side, you see actually a kind of confrontation between Iran's historical others, which is West and Arabs. Um, that's, that's, that's the reason that I believe Iran is calling for annihilation of Israel. They're not calling that, they're not asking for that, just because actually, just only because of their actually anti-Semitic uh, sentiments. They see Israel as an outpost of Western civilization right under their nose. So these different, uh, actually, these different attributes, I believe, are all related to Iran's character. Um, Kurds inside Iran, as uh, Dr. Esfandiari mentioned, have been affected by this ethnocentrism. Uh, from the beginning, actually, let's, let's, let's go back to the middle of 16th century when Ottoman Empire and uh, uh, Persian Empire divided Kurds between themselves. Ever since, actually, there has uh, the history of uh, Rojhalat, or Iranian Kurdistan, or Rojhalat, as we call it, has been shaped by two different forces. Uh, a force of uh, suppression from one side, and a force of, uh, actually, resistance from the other side. So, uh, for example, Kurds participated in 1979 revolution in the hope of actually gaining a kind of uh, situation in which they can uh, participate in political process, uh, with equal rights with other Iranians. Instead, what we received was a kind of uh, uh, situation in which we had a kind of, we were facing a kind of double oppression. Uh, from one side, we, we have been actually, our individual rights have been suppressed just uh, like other Iranians, and from the other side, our integrity, or national integrity, or actually uh, identity has been mainly and harshly suppressed by Iranian uh, state. Uh, you know, from 1979 until now, nothing has changed. I want to compare two sets of data uh, to show two different things. 
first to show that nothing has changed and second to give a sense of what was happening what is happening in terms of violations right now in Iranian Kurdistan uh, let's go first for 1979 few days or uh, a little uh, while after uh, revolution uh, Khomeini sent Khalkhali which is the most notorious clergy and executioner in history of in modern history of Iran uh, it was just within the first 14 hours of his arrival to a town, the first town that we, he went actually was a town called Pavin, uh, Kermanshah province. Uh, it was within the 14 first hours, of, first 14 hours of his arrival that nine uh, citizens of uh, Pavin were prosecuted, sentenced to death, and executed. From that time, wherever actually uh, Khal Khali goes, there is, the story repeats itself. And there are executions, there are massacres, and uh, the irony is uh, the Tehran newspapers covered the story as the story of triumph. The most actually famous one as the photo of uh, uh, some executions in uh, Senandaj airport. In, uh, in uh, one of the issues of August, it's a lot, uh, newspaper of uh, August uh, 1979, I believe. So. This story actually continues until let's fast forward to 2016. It is in the middle of August 2016, again in one of the prisons of uh, uh, Karaj city, uh, which is called, uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, I don't remember, the uh, Rajai Shah prison. It is in the middle of the night when other people in Iran were asleep, 25 Kurds were executed only after brief and secret trials. So the story still goes on. We still have the story right there. You know, based on the uh, based on the report, uh, the report of uh, uh, Jah uh, Ms. Jahangir, which is the special rapporteur of the uh, UN for Iran, one fifth of executions in Iran belongs to Kurds. Hangout.info, which is a Kurdish uh, website that covers news, uh, uh, human rights violations news in Iranian Kurdistan, says that from the from the previous Iranian year, which means uh, March 2016 to March 2017, only 138 Kurds were executed in Iran. Again, based on the Asma Jahangir's report, uh, you know, more than 59 uh, couriers, border couriers, Kurdish border couriers were killed in 2016. Hangout.info again says that in the first three months of 2015, uh, 2015 we have only 59 couriers killed with direct shot of uh, Iranian police in the borders. Well, these couriers actually have been there for generations, and this is the only way to actually have a kind of uh, minimum uh, livelihood. This, this actually custom, this, this actually president provide them with a kind of customary right to be there and do their life because they have no other choices, and Iranian regime needs to actually uh, uh, respect that. Uh, there are other uh, there are other examples. I'm not going to go over data, but I just wanted to let you know that the story is uh, the same. Uh, and uh, I just wanted to let you know that this situation, the Iranians' malign behavior abroad, is uh, stem from this situation inside Iran. Is a stem from its character, which is based which which this character actually has been shaped through years and through decades by sort of relations of domination that prevailed in uh, uh, political relations between Iranian different nations. Unite, uh, you know, it is imperative for the uh, United States to understand this. 
that uh, if they want to have a final uh, an ultimate solution for Iran's situation, they need to help Iranian nationalities to overcome these relations of domination. We need to work together to actually, as our uh, friends uh, discussed, to have a kind of federal Iran, a democratic federal Iran. A democratic federal Iran provides us with two different things. First, it provides us with checks and balances that we wouldn't have otherwise. The history of Iran is, you know, uh, it's replete with uh, uh, endeavors to reach democracy, but we couldn't. All endeavors failed. Why? Because there aren't enough checks and balances there. And only a federalism uh, can provide these checks and balances. And second, this federalism actually is in favor of peace in the uh, Middle East. Why? Because it is natural for us to have good relationship with other side of borders. Because whether you are in Kurdistan or Baluchistan or Ahwaz or uh, whether you are in uh, Azerbaijan, the other side of border is your family. The other side of border of uh, Azerbaijan is northern Azerbaijan, which is Azeri. Uh, it's the same story in Kurdistan. We actually, uh, as Nasser mentioned, we have no interest to go uh, to Yemen or other places because actually, uh, for example, in Israel, you can find Kurds in Israel, and we have good relationship with Kurds in Israel. Uh, you know, there are no rules celebrations in Israel and stuff. So. Uh, this federalism actually is in favor of peace and democ both democracy and peace in uh, Middle East and inside Iran. Uh, this struggle has been going on there for a long time. PDKI, which I represent, Democratic Party of Iranian Kurdistan, has been playing a leading role in this struggle. Uh, we were established 72 years ago. Ever since, actually, we have a lot of accomplishments. Uh, one year after establishing of uh, PDK, actually, we were able to establish uh, the Republic of Kurdistan uh, uh, in Mahabad and the areas around Mahabad. And ever since, actually, we, we have played a significant role in leading this struggle. After revolution, where still uh, Iranian government was not able to uh, conquer Kurdistan, Kurdistan was a fortress, strong fortress for all um, actually forces around Iran that were actually uh, seeking for a kind of uh, uh, safe haven. Uh, all, you know, freedom fighters or freedom, uh, all, all those who are actually in favor of freedom in Iran and liberty in Iran. We still believe that uh, we can uh, play the same role. Iranian Kurdistan still can play the same role. Uh, we as Kurdish parties, especially PDKI, from last year, we have started a kind of new campaign called Rasan. Our aim is actually to uh, uh, strengthen uh, kind of organizational work inside Iranian Kurdistan. So far, we have been successful, I believe, in this. During this past year, uh, youth in Kurdistan welcomed this campaign largely. Uh, and also, we have been able to control a considerable uh, amount of strip between Iran-Iraq borders. And actually, we're trying to establish our institutions there to show uh, the world that uh, there is a kind of alternative democratic, uh, a democratic alternative for the current situation in Iran. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. I'd like to thank uh, Hudson and UNPO for this indeed very timely event. Uh, and considering what goes on uh, in the Middle East. Uh, my remarks, I'll try to uh, present the, the problem 
and uh, the solution as we see it. But uh, if you look uh, a glance, a quick glance at all the troubled spots in the Middle East and elsewhere, uh, shows that the causes lay, in fact, in uh, uh, in two things: the uh, disenfranchisement, marginalization, oppression of non-dominant minorities. It's all across the board. It's true in Turkey, in Iraq, in Yemen, everywhere. So it is in this. Uh, uh, it is in this context that we provide federalism as a solution, as a tactic and strategy, if you will. The tactical part of it, in fact, it is our platform to unify the opposition across the board, all nationalities, Persian, progressive forwards, for the removal of the regime. It is, in fact, Nasser and I, uh, are on the executive committee of the largest ethnic coalition, Congress of Nationalities for the Federal Union. By the way, I have their literature laden, I will distribute. And I represent the largest Ahwazi Federalist Party inside an Iran that we have been advocating federalism for the past 30 years. But so the point is that, uh, so, and the strategic part of it is that after the removal of the regime, in fact, we can establish a democratic, federal, decentralized society, and most importantly, prevent re-emergence of dictatorship that Iran has been struggling all along. So um, uh, it is in that uh, context, we think there is a looming crisis on the horizon in Iran, not unlike the one we see in Syria. Uh, so that's why we think that um, we offer federalism as a crisis management and a model for managing this diversity. It was said that Iran not only is multinational, in fact, the most diverse city, diverse country uh, in the Middle East. Uh, but this diversity is in a state of tension. And due to insistence on building a nation state dominated by one ethnic group over the others, at the expense of other non-Persian minorities. So it is this discourse that we think, presented by ultra-national Iranians, that in fact threatens the territorial integrity of the very state they are trying to preserve. Uh, and uh, so Iran is composed of six nationalities, Arab, Baluch, Kos, Persian, Turks, Turkmen, a smaller group of ethnic and linguistic uh, 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 groups. But it also is, is home to uh, Christian, Jews, Baha'is, Mandanis, and others. But this ethnic and religious group that comprise at least 50, or by some estimate, two-thirds of the population, okay, and uh, they, they don't have any, they are not given, they are not accorded, really, citizenship. Okay, and one-third, by some extent, one-third of the population is Sunnis. Okay, and it was said, Mr. Haji Babai, the Minister of uh, Education under Ahmadinejad said, only 30% of the first graders who enter uh, school have Persian as their mother tongue. Yet in this country, Persian is the sole official language of the state, 
and Sunni is the sole sanctioned uh, 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 religion. Uh, uh, but and all others are ignored, marginalized, and so forth. The Islamic republics started the same policy during the Shah that uh, they use uh, Shia theology and Persian literature, history, language, and education to deliberately privilege one ethnic group over the other, thus creating socioeconomic inequality, exclusion, and oppression, thereby stifling any chance for democratic transformation. Uh, the the non-Persian uh, nationalities, we, have, we participate fully in the uh, downfall of the regime, uh, Shah regime in 1979. These nationalities aspire to gain their rights under a new regime that called for the values of Islam based on justice, equality, and rights for all peoples, regardless of their race, ethnicity, or religion. But what happened was exactly the opposite. The new Islamic regime launched a massive campaign against Ahwazi Arabs, Kurd, Turks, and Turkmen, and, and, uh, who demanded self-rule, executing many thousands. And for the past 38 years, any demand for any sort of uh, self-rule was uh, put down, uh, uh, repressed. Ahwazi Arabs that I represent is one of the five national uh, non-Persian constituencies reside mostly in south of, of Iran in Khuzestan province, or as it's called by the uh, indigenous people, Erlimul Ahwaz, or Arabistan. Uh, uh, Ahwazi Arabs are an, an ethnic, national, and linguistic minority in Iran. They are caught between an unfortunate phenomenon they are subjected to racism due to the historical Persian Arab animosity. Economically, they are among the most oppressed, ranking at the very bottom, estimated to be 6 to 8%, about 10% of the population. They are faced with forced assimilation uh, and, and, and oppression. Uh, any legitimate demand of the Arabs and others have been labeled secessionists, separatists, stooges of foreign uh, uh, countries, or, or danger to territorial integrity. A legislation during Khatami was presented by Khuzestan deputies, a bill to allocate 1.5% of the oil export to the area. It's been defeated ever since, in four or five majlis so far. 1.5%, okay? Um, uh, Ahwazi Arabs endure human development indicators that fall well below the Iranian national average. Illiteracy rates is at least two times, and unemployment is four to five times the national average. More than 450,000 acres of Ahwazi Arab farmers' land have been confiscated uh, since 1979 and given to uh, government cooperatives. Uh, in Khuzestan, 2005, UN sent a delegation headed by Mr. Milan Kothari, special rapporteur to, uh, uh, for housing. And he said, and I quote, when you visit Ahwaz, there are thousands of people living with open sewers. 
no sanitation, no regular access to water, electricity, and no gas connection. Why is that? We drove outside the Ahwaz at 14, 20 kilometers. We saw development projects, the sugarcane project, the estimate we received. For this project alone, there were 200 to 250,000 Arab people are being displaced from their villages. End of the quote. So in this Arab majority province, okay, Governor General or Standar and other province political, military, and security commanders, officers, mayors, and other high and mid-level government officials have consistently been chosen from non-Arabs. They are treated as second and third class citizens with an equal uh, 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 sharing of economic and political resources. Added to this is the lingering effect of Iran-Iran war where Arab cities and towns have not been uh, or at best 20 to 30 percent were rebuilt and the, the regime did not demine the area. Okay, so uh, their, their minds continuously killing uh, Arabs in, in, in Kurdistan. So, uh, uh, institutional racism has actually, there is a project headed by Mohsen Rezaei. And it is an ethnic cleansing policy with huge resources to reduce the Arabs from 70, 80% to less than 1%. And beyond that is that they see Arabs as, uh, as, as, as separatists or whatever. So even though uh, Ahwazi Arab land produces more than 80% of their oil wealth, Arabs in Iran, literally, they live in abject poverty. So, um, so it is in this context that you know, I will try to end the, 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 the problem. So, but this nation and all the other nations are awakened. You may say, why? I would say the information system, globalization. Arabs watch satellite television and see the Emiratis, the Kuwaitis, and they are much better off. Why are they? So they are ready to rebel. So it is in this context when we say that we will see uh, a, a crisis not unlike Syria, perhaps, uh, perhaps worse. So what is the solution? We, we offer self-determination, internal self-determination. I know self-determination, even though it's, 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 uh, uh, it's in the UN literature and in uh, UN various resolutions, but self-determination is disallowed by the international community as separatism. However, just to give it a legal uh, uh, backing, United Nations in 1998 in a conference in Barcelona uh, under the implementation of self-determination as a contribution to political, to conflict prevention, they presented internal self-determination. So, and in that they say federalism, confederalism, and all of that, that is the, uh, that is the solution. So as I said earlier, and perhaps we can engage later on the pluses and minuses, and who in Iran uh, oppose uh, decentralization of power, okay? 
but it is what what we are uh, uh, offering is a the uh, 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 a decision making and autonomy within our linguistic and, uh, and religion and ethnic areas where uh, territorial political economy within boundaries of the existing state. Uh, uh, it is political internal self-determination that tag form of political uh, participatory democracy uh, and so on. I say that because the regime actually is behind this discourse that federalism is the first step for unraveling of Iran, for separatism for all of that. That is not true. That is not true. In fact, in fact, you may ask, okay, what's the alternative? And we present this to uh, uh, Persian uh, uh, opposition. What is this alternative? If not federalism, the future of Iran is one of the three. Huh? Status quo. It could you know, another 30 years of Islamic Republic. What we offer, removal of this regime and establishment of a decentralized government. What's the third option? Unknown. Unknown. And, and that's why we challenge the international community. You know, there is this third option, unknown. We think is, uh, uh, there is an explosion about to happen, you know, and we want to be part of this peaceful transition, you know, like all the others did, you know, uh, in the past 20 years in, in Kosovo. Federalism has been very successful. Lately in, in Ethiopia, Americans, Indians, Swiss, all these peoples come together and, and, and were able to live but why is it that we hear from the ultranationals in Iran that no, this is in fact CIA is behind this, Israel is behind this, and all. Nobody is behind this. It's we, the peoples of Iran, uh, are fed up with this regime. And as I said, there are 17 major organizations have come together in 2003 in London. We all were there, and we said, this is what we want, okay? And so I, uh, I will, uh, I'll be happy. I have a page on the type of federalism, multinational, multi-ethnic federalism, and the difference between that and other types of federalism, and and why it should work, and all. And with that, I thank you, thank you. for the opportunity. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Grim. Habib. Good afternoon, everybody. I also would like to thank uh, Hudson Institute, Mr. Dr. Brown, and also UMPO for making this event a reality. Uh, I want to talk about Azerbaijanis in Iran, which are, you know, their numbers is kind of varies, depends who you talk to, but one third of Iran's population is ethnic Azerbaijani, I think that's a good estimate. But let me just tell you something. If, let's assume the Iranian government wants to do reverse discrimination, they want to have a program to undo what the previous regimes did, they would say, we're going to give a loan to people who can prove 
their heritage was Azerbaijani. Just come forward, prove your ethnic heritage that you're Azerbaijani, and you will receive this loan. Only then you will see what is the real number of Azerbaijanis in Iran. Believe me, they could be the largest ethnic group outnumbering Persians. Now, I want to talk briefly about history of Azerbaijanis in Iran. They have been ruling, ruling Iran for centuries. They have been many either Azerbaijani or Turkic dynasties ruling Iran. They have been in Iran's economy, Iran's army, religious organizations, you name it, they are everywhere. But the thing is, uh, in 1905, there was this constitution revolution in Iran, which Azerbaijanis actively participated in that revolution. And basically, it limited the role of monarchy. This was for so the parliament would rule something similar to what Great Britain is now. That revolution bitterly succeeded. But that was the starting point for decline of Azerbaijani's role in Iranian society. At that time, Tabriz was a rival to Tehran in every aspect. But it has been declining ever since. Now, one other major uh, event that happened after, in 1945-46, during World War II, there was a de facto Azerbaijani government established in Iranian Azerbaijan. Pishavari was the leader, and this basically Iranian government, Iranian army abandoned their posts, and Azerbaijani activists took over. This lasted for more than a year, and eventually it was the first item that was uh, discussed in, in the new United Nations that was, you know, had just started. This issue of Iranian-Azerbaijan was the first item on the agenda that they discussed. Eventually, uh, the Shah's uh, army took over. There were thousands of Azerbaijanis killed, and that's one of the, the demise of that uh, government was one of the saddest pages of history of Iranian Azerbaijan. And believe me, to this very day, Azerbaijanis in Iran are still paying a price for that uprising and for that uh, de facto government in the 1940s. They are still paying for that, for that uh, revolt against the central government. Now, in 1979, the Islamic Revolution, Azerbaijanis were, were, were very active. They actively participated because they were so much against the Shah. They were everywhere. They participated in the revolution. And when the government, the new Islamic government, took over, you could say that all the decision-making positions were divided between Azerbaijanis and Persians. They were like half and half. A lot of senior leaders in the government, like Prime, uh, Prime Minister uh, Bazargan, ethnic Azerbaijani, Ayatollah Musavi Ardabili, leader of the Supreme Court, 
was uh, Azerbaijani, leader of the Iranian Senate, uh, Ayatollah Mishkini. These, these were all ethnic, and many ministers in the government. It was kind of half and half divided. But then a year later, when uh, the constitution, the new constitution was putting uh, for a referendum, Ayatollah Shariat Madari, the, who's ethnic Azerbaijani and most uh, Azerbaijanis had chosen him as their uh, religious leader, he uh, opposed this constitution, uh, Article 5, which basically was establishing uh, theocracy, establishing rule of the clergy. He said this shouldn't be there, you know, parliament should rule, not, not the clergy. But, and there was this party, Khalga Musalman, or the Muslim People's Party, which was very active in the Azerbaijani, ethnic Azerbaijani inhabited uh, regions, the northwest part of the country. And there was major revolt there in, in, in this is about 1980, 1980, 1981. And for months, uh, the, this party, Khalga Musalman, the Muslim People's Party, had taken over all important government facilities like TV, radio, airport, even army had declared neutrality. So it was kind of de facto uh, autonomy for Azerbaijan region. Later that uh, movement collapsed and there was another turning point basically on the slaughter of uh, ethnic Azerbaijanis in Iran and their situation got even worse. Now, Azerbaijanis use every opportunity to express uh, their needs and the change that they want. Their, uh, since I would say uh, 1980s, their movement has been mostly peaceful, you know, mostly uh, activities that the Iranian constitution allows, although there uh, have been many Azerbaijanis who were killed on the streets in rallies and demonstrations, but they overall, generally, they have tried to have peaceful rallies, go through parliament and elections. Uh, however, uh, they, uh, Azerbaijanis are very proud of their ethnic heritage. And uh, the ruling Persians know this. Once in a while something happens in the Iranian media or the government does something, and this basically, the Azerbaijanis show reaction to this, energizes them. One example was in 19, uh, in 2006, May of 2006, an official Iranian newspaper called Iran, Iran newspaper, published a caricature which in, was depicting Azerbaijanis as cockroaches. This was a supplement to children's uh, magazine which uh, is attached to Iran newspaper on Friday editions. And this thing was basically, you know, 
caused an uprising in the Azerbaijan region, which had never happened, which hadn't happened in century, in, I'm sorry, in decades. And all large and small towns in Azerbaijan region uh, rose up, showed their protest, including the government officials who participated even in Friday prayers. They all showed their dismay and, and protest. It was the largest event in recent uh, uh, history of uh, Azerbaijan is in Iran. I wanna, but then on the other hand, we had the uh, Green Movement, probably most of you have heard of that, and the leader was Mr. Mirsen Musavi, who's an ethnic Azerbaijani, by the way. But Azerbaijanis did not participate in that, in that uh, movement actively. And there is a reason for that. Although the leader was ethnic Azerbaijan, they did not actively participate. And the reason is that because the movement and Mr. Mirza Musavi himself was very reluctant to talk about ethnic rights, to talk about the rights of Azerbaijani people. He traveled to Tabriz, he gave his speeches, and he spoke a few sentences in Azerbaijani, but he was very reluctant to talk about these issues. And that's the reason, although most other parts of Iran, especially Tehran, were actively participated in this movement, Azerbaijanis who historically are very active in revolutions stood aside. Another uh, thing I would, uh, I just want to stay within the 10 minutes, and that is uh, one thing. Uh, Lake Urmia, I have to mention that, you know, Lake Urmia, which is the largest lake in that region, it's based, it is drying up mostly because of mismanagement by government authorities. They have built too many dams and rivers pouring into Lake Urmia. They have built too many wells, which sucks up water from underground and it destroys the balance of water, water balance underground. And also, you know, there's also nature has played a role here too that cannot be denied, but it's mostly because of mismanagement by central authorities. So that is, that lake has been, uh, is drying up. Although last, starting last year, there is some improvement, but that is a major issue which is in the mind of every Azerbaijani. It is a force that has uh, organized Azerbaijanis, it has energized Azerbaijanis. They want, they demand government to have a solution to put aside resources. And they have promised Mr. Rouhani, who's trying to get elected again uh, this Friday, he promised he will uh, put aside resources to uh, basically bring more water to Lake Urmia. He had his first cabinet uh, meeting solely dedicated to issues of Lake Urmia. He did that. But a lot of this, a lot of talk, very little action. They have said a lot of things. Every now and then, government officials go to that region and uh, they uh, talk about that they do their best to do this, but uh, it's mostly talk, very little action. Just Going through my notes here, one more thing, and that is, uh, as I said, Azerbaijanis use every little opportunity to express their demands, their feelings. One thing that is 
has been seen the past few years is uh, sports events. Tabriz has a soccer team called uh, Traktor Sazi, which Azerbaijanis call it Traktur. They insist on that Turkish pronunciation of the name, and by that, basically, they say, this is my team. I want to call it the way I want to. And Traktor Sazi's games are good sporting events, but also a venue for expressing uh, ethnic uh, demands and uh, long live Azerbaijan, you can hear it. Probably uh, you don't see that, you don't hear uh, tens of thousands of Azerbaijanis chanting long live Azerbaijan in the Republic of Azerbaijan, but you hear it in, in the Iranian side in these uh, event, sports events. And also there is uh, the volleyball team in Urmia, which is uh, similar to Traktor Sazi's games, that there are a lot of uh, Azerbaijani nationalism is shown there. Now, what I want to end my uh, remarks with uh, really talking to Persian opposition groups abroad. They're mostly Persian. And I'm just telling them that the time for any supremacy, the time for ethnic uh, for Persian supremacy is over. It is just very divisive, very divisive. Embrace ethnic groups, other ethnic groups, non-Persian ethnic groups, and we can accomplish a lot together. Don't try, you have tried to dominate us for decades. You haven't got anywhere. You tried to dominate Azerbaijanis for decades. You tried to destroy Azerbaijani language and culture. You didn't get anywhere. Azerbaijani language and culture is still alive. The only difference is most Azerbaijanis now have become bilingual. The ones who have, uh, who are educated, uh, have uh, you know high school diploma or have uh, college education, they speak Farsi. That doesn't mean they haven't they have forgotten Azerbaijani language. Uh, Azerbaijani language is live, alive, and kicking. And as my friend said. Now we live in 21st century. There is satellite TV, there is the internet, there is all the social media. There is a country called Republic of Azerbaijan, and there is Turkey, country of Turkey. Their TV broadcast, there, it all has an impact on awakening uh, the Azerbaijanis in Iran and other ethnic groups as well. All, we are not asking for too much. We are just asking for equality. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to uh, ask the panel a very general question. I, and I guess I, if each of you could just take this up as you see fit. Um, how representative are the parties or the movements that you work with of the actual aspirations of, of the different ethnic nationalities in Iran, the Kurds, the Azeris, the Awazis, and the Baluch. And how representative is the aspiration to have a federal Iran of the different other factions amongst those ethnic groups? Um, and if we can sort of keep answers brief so that we can um, open it up for a larger conversation. But I'm very keen to hear uh, more from each of you about that and about the actual state of political development within the actual uh, different ethnic regions of Iran. Um, Nasser? 
Well, I think it's very difficult to say how uh, things are inside Iran because of uh, you cannot go and uh, uh, discuss the opinion of people in Iran and uh, do any kind of poll or something. But what we understand since the beginning, when uh, Baluchistan was taken over by Iran during the Reza Pahlavi regime, people didn't like that because it was not like that that we voted to be part of the uh, Pahlavi regime at the time. Right. It was a military attack on Baluchistan. We already had established kind of Baluchi government in Baluchistan, and it was uh, resisted by the Baluch people at the time. Uh, so people still, in Baluchistan, we never had a situation where there has been peace with the central government. Uh, it, it, in Baluchistan, the, the movement for Baluch right is not political party dominated, it's not uh, religious dominated. It is just that we, Baluch, think that we have a distinct identity. We do not like the hegemony of another nation. And historically, we never have accepted also the hegemony of uh, Zarushtan as a religion or Islam. Right. Or uh, no, we do not accept the hegemony of the Persian culture or Arab culture or any culture that want to come to Baluchistan in any way that been historically has tried to come. So it is, I think, we are uh, giving the aspiration for the Baluch right, for the Baluch right as a, as a nation. And then, of course, we do not claim as the Baluchistan People's Party that we are the majority party in Baluchistan. This, this we do not have claimed and we do not claim that, no. It is uh, to, the, to the people when it's the democracy, we are uh, trying to establish a democracy in Iran and also in Baluchistan and then there we can see it. But we think the aspiration for the national right in Baluchistan, it is uh, we represent that one. And when we say it here, I think all of the Baluch, all the parties also represent that one. But there is, of course, in Baluchistan is a diverse society. It's uh, several million people living there. We have uh, a religious uh, movement in Baluchistan, given Iran's theocratic government, and majority of the Baluch are Sunni, and Iran is dominated by Shia government. We have aspiration for an independent Baluchistan. There is movement also in that regard in Baluchistan. Uh, but we think all of this could be solved peacefully if there is a central government which listens to the people and give people their right and, well, in the due time, each and every political way has a solution. So I think we are all together once a peaceful transition to democracy, yeah. but we do not claim that we are the majority party in Baluchistan. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I uh, also second what he said regarding the lack of surveys and credible statistics really to uh, find out what portion of the uh, nationality, the non-Persian nationalities aspirations is real. And uh, uh, so because of that and lack of freedom in Iran, it's is very difficult to assess those kind of statistics. But there's no doubt that the aspiration is there. It exists. You can see it when people have um, some kind of avenues or windows of opportunity, uh, they um, have shown that the aspiration is well and alive, actually. In one moment, sir. Yeah, basically, the last uh, elections that we participated as PDKI, in the Kurdish areas, we could have like a bit more than 70% of the votes. Uh, after the revolution, actually, we participated in election. Uh, after that, things got messy. But uh, ever since actually change, uh, things has changed, now Kurdistan is more diverse, actually, society. We have different parties. 
Well, basically, I can say that uh, federalism is the main demand in Iranian Kurdistan. The second demand or the second aspiration actually would be separatism, would be actually um, some sort of uh, uh, wanting Kurdistan to be independent, Iranian Kurdistan. So basically, uh, which is actually, which is not represented by major parties. Uh, The major parties actually like PDKI, Kwamala Party, and other parties actually, they are mostly, uh, the, the, the main demand of these parties is mostly uh, democratic federal Iran, in which all we have actually uh, access to our basic rights and uh, have uh, basic actually, uh, and have uh, opportunity to participate in political power. Yeah, in our party, uh, the more educated Arabs are, the more for federalism. Across the board, our party represents almost all the avant-garde, Arabs avant-garde. Whether, you know, they're in the government, or people in the government, various government and various ministries. And the more uneducated, you know, I mean uneducated, not the, but they were forced to, you know. By the way, you know, out of three, four Persian students that go to school, one drops out. That's the statistic and three gets a far school diploma. Among Arabs, it's the opposite. Three dropped out and one gets a high school diploma. So that's the, you know, just to give you a, a context. So these people are for separatism. A lot of separatist organization, armed struggle, and you know, you said we'll talk about Iran and Arab rivalries, and I, you know, there are some, Baha- I mean, Akhwani groups and Salafi groups have penetrated this, but. But for the most part, all the Arab intellectuals are for this. But let me, for the audience, this may be interested. Uh, I have literature here about Congress of Nationalities for Federal Iran, 2003, 17 organization, the largest in Iran, you know, and we are uh, in the uh, uh, leadership of it. There was a dynamic. I was a student in the 70s, early 70s, you know, in New York when I was studying, I went to Iran in 1976. I was put in jail for two years, okay, in Avin. Then we started talking to the leaders of Mujahideen, Fedayeen, right and left. And then prior to that, 1974, I remember in New York, Ayatollah Khomeini sent a delegation to us. You know, we were in the Confederation of Iran and he said, let's put our differences aside. Let's unite against the overthrow of the regime. He said, okay. What's in it for us, Arab, Azerbaijan? He said autonomy. But, but, but actually, literally, he threw us out of his office, his son, when, you know, went to. So in this back, in the prison, too, I talked to him. I said, whoa, I'm here. I'm not fighting for Arabs. I'm fighting for justice and democracy in Iran. Yet the opposition group there, they, they didn't want to change what Habib said, the supremacy of that. So... Uh, uh, so, uh, uh, fast forward, late 1990s, all the, you know, uh, um, activists, we got together in Europe and we said, hey, it seems that we, non-Persian groups, we need to form our own independent uh, organization, okay? Then we enter into coalition with Persian groups. So that was the thinking behind this Congress of Nationality. So we say, okay, you form your coalition, we form coalition, and then 
One of the things that hardly debated in Iran, you know, this audience may know it, but there are organizations, they call themselves Sarasari. We're a national organization, you know. Our difference is that, no, no, you're not national. At that time, is that in, Ar in Arabistan, Al-Ahwaj, there are no lefties, the Communist Party, the Mujahideen, I can tell you, have no support in the Arab areas. So we tell them, we are a regional party, but let's get together, form a coalition. It's sort of a force majeure that we all come together, you know. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, but apparently there isn't <laughs> this, they haven't been convinced. But the danger I see it, you know, uh, in the Arab areas that people don't know that the international community does not go for separatism, you know? Self-determination is all and fine, but <laughs> there is an order here that they don't, you know, allow us. So, so that's, but we were able to communicate this, that you can have a federalism and really reach your aspirations, you know, and, and you, know, uh, you know, otherwise there is no support for separatism and federalism. Habib, if you can keep your answer yeah, very, brief. very short, because yeah. I do want to open this up to the... Yeah, definitely. I'll try to be brief. In Azerbaijan region also, I think the majority of people would opt for autonomy, would choose autonomy, and we have experience of this in 1940s. Uh, there was the Azerbaijan Democratic Republic. In uh, 1980, the the Muslim uh, People Party, it was like a de facto autonomy, and we had even another one, uh, Khiyabani movement, which I didn't have time to talk about that one. That was also a kind of uh, autonomous uh, state within Iran. So we have experience of that, and it has been well managed, and people want that. I'm going to brief just say one thing about the economy. You know, in this 1940s, the Azerbaijan Democratic Republic, economy was so good. Uh, Tehran government was not sending currency to Azerbaijan, so at the end, towards the end, they had to publish their own currency. And this currency was more expensive in Tehran. They were buying this more than its value. The 50 Tuman ones was selling 55 Tumans in Tehran because they believed more in, in Azerbaijan democratic uh, government than, than the central government. So the majority won this. They, uh, we have experience of it, but also there are groups who would who advocate uh, independence. Also, that I cannot uh, uh, deny that. I appreciate it. Thank you. I would r really want to open this up for a wider conversation, and I want to be mindful of everybody's time. So, if we can keep questions very short, and when the microphone comes around, if you could please, for the record, just. Uh, Identify yourself, your affiliation, and uh, please keep questions short. Uh, Ma'am, in the front row here, second. Hi, Zeb Trin, AU. Uh, Dr. Abdin, do you have the percentage of minorities participating in the Iranian government, say leaders, nuclear scientists, uh, doctors, lawyers, or professionals? Anybody have that? We don't have precise, it's really because it's immaterial. 
the Arab Shamkhani, he was the minister of defense, but he killed more Arabs. So really, so so it's immaterial. That's why. But I don't have any statistic. Uh, this gentleman back, uh, four rows back, please. My name is Mohammed, pen name Taimazurmulu, Turkish people from Iran. I have a question, Mr. Arash. You speaking about uh, people, uh, Kurdish people in Iran, and Kurdistan in Iran and Rosh Halat. Where is Rosh Halat? Where is uh, Kurdistan in Iran? And what's your solution to cooperative between people, Turkish people and Kurdish people? Because Kurdish uh, parties in Iran have so serious territorial claims uh, against Iranian uh, Turkish people lands, historical lands, Azerbaijan lands. Um, is your solution after the day, after Islamic Republic, uh, as like as Kirkuk or Syria solution, do you want to kill and exile a Turkish people? Uh, because these are so serious uh, statements that we have so serious struggle and conflict today. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. That's a big question, and um, we can't do it justice, but if you could answer briefly, Arash, thanks. Of course, actually, uh, as Kerry mentioned, we have CNFI, Congress for Nationalities, uh, of Nationalities for Federal Iran, and we started cooperating with Azeris and other nationalities in Iran. There isn't any issue that cannot be solved with uh, uh, democratic mechanisms. So in the future of Iran, there is only one judgment between us, and it is democratic uh, mechanisms. And we are going to resort to me uh, democratic, uh, actually, mechanisms, and we are going to see what exactly peoples in those territories who are actually Kurds and actually Azeris or Kurds and Turks are combined with each other and live with each other, what exactly people in those towns, cities, towns, and villages want. Uh, let's, let's, yeah, let's finish. Let's continue after. Thank you very much. Sir, here, in the second row from the front. Uh, hi, I'm Ken Timmerman. I'm a author, uh, investigator, and in my spare time, the president of the Foundation for Democracy in Iran. Uh, this is a very sensitive issue, and Eric, I really commend you for doing this. It's probably the most sensitive issue among the Iranian opposition. Many of you here were aware of the 2007 conference in Paris, Hambasigi, Iran. Mm -hmm. It was an attempt to bring together the Persian, some of the Persian national groups and some of the ethnic minority groups, and it failed precisely over these questions. So this is a great discussion to have, very important. Uh, Dr. Svandiari, I wanted to ask you, uh, you and I have something in common I've, I've understood is that we've both been to Kandil in northern Iraq right. and visited the uh, Pajak camps along the yes, border with Iran. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could uh, describe to us here a little bit uh, what you saw in those Pajak camps. I saw, saw tens of thousands of fighters when I was there. Uh, I noticed they're not represented here either, but I'd be very interested to hear what you saw. Thank you. Well, uh, Pajak in uh, Kandil, uh, uh, they are very sophisticated guerrillas, called, not uh, Peshmergas. Uh, uh, they um, 
are um, fighting with arms, obviously, against the Iranian government, and also are very um, resourceful in terms of publications and their contact uh, with the Iranian uh, youth, intellectuals, um, with different minorities inside Iran, particularly some regions of Kurdistan that uh, Kumale and the, uh, the Democratic Party of Iranian Kurdistan uh, historically have not been able to um, uh, have them basically uh, in uh, their aspiration co uh, be participating in, in the aspirations. Uh, Pajak has been more successful in that area. Um, however, um, uh, Pajak and the, uh, um, the um, worker party of the uh, Kurdistan, uh, which uh, uh, the, most of the support that comes from them are under a very big criticisms, uh, whether in they are really, uh, are, how much support is coming from the PKK to them then uh, from Iran per se, uh, the youth and the intellectuals, uh, how much of that is, is a contributor uh, to the well-being of and success of Pajak. Um, so uh, I had the opportunity to actually spend five days in Kandid uh, in a very harsh weather and under uh, very scary situations because the Turkish airplanes were on top. We had to take uh, everything from our phone um, so there could be no communication from the airplane to the ground and all of that at night very early killed the fire so it won't give any indications to be bombarded uh, by the Turkish airplanes over there. Um, so in short, Pajak is an, uh, in a way is a little an unknown phenomenon in Iran in terms of the, um, you know, how much is really, um, you know, the, the youth and the progressive movements is uh, behind Pajak's uh, at this time. Thank you. Mm. Sir. Uh, I'm Peter Humphrey. I'm an intel analyst and a former diplomat. I'm wondering uh, if you guys got, could talk just very briefly about cross-border relations. For example, Baluchis in Pakistan. Um, KDPI talking to PUK or KDP in Iraq. Um, and uh, and the, the Azeri's talking to um, Azerbaijan. Uh, is there moral support? Is there, is there any sense of, of they would like to grab you even if you don't want to leave? Um, what are the general sort of cultural contacts and are there political, geopolitical contacts as well? Uh, are Kurds very close contacts with the uh, Kurds of Iraq and Kurds of Turkey? Um, we have excellent relationship with uh, the people of Kurdistan in uh, the Kurdistan uh, Turkey and also in Kurdistan Iraq. Our party is um, in uh, live actually in Soleimaniye uh, Iraq uh, because we're exiled and uh, are, cannot operate inside Iran, obviously. 
and uh, we are campus Soleimani Iraq, um, and we have very excellent relationship with uh, both. I'm sorry, can I ask something? Yes. Well, in terms of uh, PDKI, our formal uh, policy is to have good relationship with all political parties across the border, PDK or uh, PUK. So uh, basically, we have been in a good relationship uh, so far, and we try to continue that. Uh, it's just we have uh, something like a red line that we don't want other Kurds. Uh, we, we'll, we will actually respect uh, the for, uh, integrity of Iraqi Kurdistan. We respect uh, actually rule of law in Iraqi Kurdistan and rule of uh, actually their people inside Iraqi Kurdistan. And we expect uh, other Kurds across the border to respect that thing in uh, Iraqi Kurdistan and not meddle in uh, our affairs. Uh, it's the same story with PKK. Although there have been a few clashes last year between our Peshmerga forces and PKK, but actually uh, we are tr we have we actually solved all the, all those issues, um, majority of those issues, and we are trying to have a good relationship with them too. Thank you. Uh, let's go with. Um, come back to you last, Karim. Yeah, yeah. In our case, it's very peculiar. You know. <laughs> Uh, the Arab countries used to be with the Shahs. There was no mention of us. Now, it is a huge difference. I just came back from uh, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, UA, everywhere. There's a huge support for our cause among uh, Arab youth. And there's another dynamic, because Iranian, you know, uh, Arabs in Iran used to be about 90% Shia, now we said that 50-50, there's a mass conversion from Shia to Sunni. So unfortunately, the Sunni groups have came in. There is a lot of support among Sunni groups in Arab country trying to, you know, ride this wave, a Sunni-Shia divide. But for us, we seculars, but I found in universities everywhere, Egypt, everywhere, there's a huge uh, uh, support, and that's because obviously Iran is occupying four Arab capitals, capitals, and you know, and so that has really gave us a boost, and and that's something that you know we are going to capitalize on. Thank you, Habib. Yes, uh, in, in case of Azerbaijan, the Azerbaijanis in Iran are the same ethnic group as Azerbaijanis in the Republic of Azerbaijan. The same language, the same culture, the same food. Basically, we are the same people. And definitely, there's uh, moral support for Azerbaijani cause in the Republic of Azerbaijan. But when it comes for material support, there's almost uh, none existing, as far as I know, very little maybe Azerbaijani government might provide some humanitarian support for people who are uh, have been deported or who are sick or if they return to Iran they would be executed just that and I don't know really the the details of that but maybe only that's that's about it no more than that and also same is true about uh, Turkey you know we are ethnic very close to country of Turkey but the Turkish government is very reluctant to support Azerbaijani cause in Iran. In that case, honestly, we feel Azerbaijanis in Iran, they feel that they have to rely on themselves. There is no foreign support for 
Azerbaijani cars in Iran. So we have to rely on ourselves. And Baluchistan, which is becoming the pivot of Eurasia again, uh, what, how, how are your relations with other Baluch polities? And we, are, we are the same people. I mean, always have been the same people. If you go back uh, just 50 years ago, Baluchistan was one political entity. So we have a very close relationship between us. And that's why Iranian government is building a wall between the two Baluchistan. During the Shah, when the Baluch in Pakistan got autonomy, Shah helped Pakistan to suppress Baluchistan economy, actually used American helicopter, Cobras, and other uh, F-15 to bombard Baluchistan. Uh, so the Iranian government now also tried to meddle in Baluchistan in Pakistan, and Pakistan and Iran cooperate with each other. We have been since uh, we are in the receiving end of the both extremist government. One is the Sunni, one is the Shia. For, uh, for us, it doesn't matter which kind of religious we have. So we will be suppressed. doesn't matter if it is Iran or it is Pakistan, unfortunately. But there is a good relationship between us. We are the same people. We are relatives with Russia. I mean, all the Baluch that living, maybe here, there are a few Baluch. All of them have relatives in the other side of Baluchistan. Thank you. Uh, we have time for uh, one more question. Uh, Ma'am, right here in the third row. Uh, I am the member of Ahraz, uh, Association of uh, human rights for Azerbaijani people in Iran, and I belong to Turkic Azerbaijani ethnic minority. I'm from Urmia, uh, the capital of East Azerbaijan. So I want to draw the all participant attention to the point actually Mr. Um, mentioned about uh, the Urmia Lake dry out, which is really uh, an important issue. Uh, and. And as a woman, I believe uh, this uh, environmental crisis will affect women and child, ch children much more. So, and we believe this happened because of the um, bad resource management, which actually uh, caused to flowing the capital to the uh, like Tehran and those cities which is actually res their residents are Persian people because Azerbaijan was the most uh, wealthy uh, land in Iran and also when it comes to human resources and when it comes to uh, underground resources. So uh, I want to add as the, this uh, meeting uh, is one to promote for federalism and I think uh, is itself is because of wrong uh, resource management. Also, I want to bring one more, but this is very important. If you could just ask a short question, yes. please. Uh, I believe that Iran uh, uh, regime uh, is very clever in, church, in changing the terms. They changed the uh, identity of the Turkic Azerbaijani people to the word Azeri, which uh, and even in this meeting, and also the uh, uh, people who are sitting on the board use the word Azari, which I think there is not exist actually. So at least we need to pay attention to this word. Our identity is we are Turks, yeah. and our land is uh, Azerbaijan. So we need to not to let the Iran government to change the word and actually change yeah. the identity. That is an important clarification. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. My name is Paul Johnson. I spent most of my life uh, 
I'm one of the minorities of Iran. I'm an American who studied Persian. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a friend of I've never worked for the government because they wouldn't take me, because they said I was too familiar with Iran. And I scored a five on the Persian exam. And Sir, I'm sorry to interrupt, okay, but please fine. keep but, your but comments very short. Okay. okay. Hal Voorhees, who is a friend of mine and um, I've met at the Smithsonian Institution, told me one time that he was briefing Jimmy Carter uh, about November of 1978. And Hal's assistant made the mistake of telling Mr. Carter or President Carter that we were spending, the National Security Agency was paying $1,000 a month for a man named Khomeini to stay in Paris. You've brought up he, a great topic for another he, session. But Again, I'm sorry to interrupt. He, he, he gave the money, and that was the end. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So he should have kept paying the one time. <laughs> <laughs> we need to be mindful of everybody's time. I really appreciate it. Okay, okay, we got I it. did we not, I did not. We got it. We got it. I wanted to thank everybody for coming. Okay, we got it. I wanted to thank our...